If you've been podcasting long enough, then my guest, he really needs no introduction. But just in case you're not familiar with the legendary Cliff Ravenscraft, let me share just a little bit about him. In 2005, he began his podcast journey with a show about the TV series Lost. Remember that one? A year later, he launched his show, The Podcast Answer Man. And through that show, as well as his coaching and online courses, he helped literally tens of thousands of people get their start as a podcaster. In fact, if you look at the top 100 podcasts in the business category on Apple Podcasts, more than half of those shows were created by clients who personally worked with Cliff. Today, he's the host of the Cliff Ravenscraft Show, and he has a very successful coaching business. It was a true honor to sit down with the legend himself and hear his story. He was nice enough to give me over two hours of his time, so I've broken it up into two parts. In this episode, he'll share his story from the very beginning, how he got his start with his original podcast. We'll learn about the role that faith plays in his life and in his podcast journey. And he shares advice for anyone looking to get started as a podcaster. This is good advice, even if you've already started your podcast. My goal for this episode was pretty simple. I wanted to get to know Cliff the person, the human being. And I would say that Cliff delivered on this and he shared exactly who he is in true Cliff style. So with that, let's jump straight in to the conversation. Cliff Ravenscraft, thank you for being on For the Love of Podcast. Billy, I'm honored to be here. I can't wait to see where this conversation goes. You and me both, my friend. So you're a Kentucky boy. I want to go back to your eight-year-old self where you're taking apart your computer because I think that really says it all, that you were interested in technology way back then. How did that, and more broadly, your childhood in general, play a role in who you became and ultimately how you became one of the first early adopters of the podcast movement? Well, obviously, it does have a very real connection because I've always had this early adoption of technology devices and been drawn to them since I was a kid. The technology actually goes back beyond that. I don't remember how old I was, but my favorite toy as a child was a toy called Mr. Microphone. Are you familiar with it? Sounds familiar. I don't think I had that toy, though. Just describe it. All right. I think I'm about ready to turn 48. I'm not quite sure. I, I lose count. Anyway, <laughs> but when, when I was about maybe four or five years old, there was this microphone and it had an FM transmitter built inside of the handle. And, a, and, it, and it had one of those telescoping aluminum antennas and you could talk into it and you could tune into whatever frequency it broadcasted on on your local transistor radio and, and tune in. And I could actually talk into a microphone and hear my voice. That was my favorite toy. That is when I was hooked. My voice being broadcast wirelessly to a radio. Oh, that man. was amazing. I was awake from that moment. This is awesome. And I was, I was in love with technology. Much later, taking apart my first computer and rebuilding it and all that stuff and figuring out how, how all of that worked, that was interesting. And I was a part of computers all the way back to the Commodore VIC-20, learning uh, and teaching myself how to do basic coding and stuff like that. But none of that really 
jazzed me as much as when computers did later on. But if there's another part of my childhood story that is before the really awesome stuff of computers. I want to tell you is that when I was about 13 years old, I don't have any clue why, but my mom, she is not a technology person, but my mom, of all people, bought a Radio Shack realistic base station CB radio. Citizens Band Radio, 40 channels. Wow. And she had one of those magnetic antennas that you could drop on top of the car. And I remember getting a whatever pie tin she had. And I put that (laughs) antenna on, stuck it out my bedroom radio. And I was broadcasting my voice and able to wirelessly communicate with other people from miles and miles away. Now, I didn't think about it at the time, you know, sure. 13, right, 13 right. years old. I live in northern Kentucky, just across the river from Cincinnati, Ohio. But in my mind, I never really thought of how the crow flies, right? In my mind, to go to Cincinnati, to this place called Price Hill, <laughs> you had to get on the expressway, drive all the way around through northern Kentucky, down the cut in the hill on 75, across the bridge, and then you had to take some side roads and get all the way up to Price Hill. Seemed like forever away from my home. But here I was, a handheld CB radio, and I was talking, and and I said, where are you from? And they said, Price Hill in Cincinnati. I'm like, (laughs) mind blown. No way. Now, okay. In all fairness, it was three miles across the river. (laughs) But but in my mind, I was talking to people on the other side of the planet. It was so cool. I did what was illegal back then. I actually broadcasted my own radio show on Citizens Band Radio. I, I think it was, I probably, Channel 20 comes to mind, but I probably, whatever. I just said, hey, this Tuesday, I'm gonna broadcast the radio show on Channel 20 at this time, and I would do it every week. And I would key the microphone for about 45 minutes to an hour, broadcasting nonstop, completely illegal. Uh, and, and then I would actually take call-ins by just l- letting go of the mic and letting people come in and interact. It is the coolest thing. So I've always had this passion. And of course, then I'll come back to computers. My love for computers, when did it come in? It was right around, oh gosh, 1991, I learned about HTML. They just came out with this graphic interface for you to design web pages instead of just typing in via text. Actually, that was 1996, HTML and all that stuff, 95, 96. Actually, before American Online, BBCs, Mm. Wildcat BBS software. Okay. So my mom and dad had another computer. And they had from the insurance agency that they owned, they had a 300 baud modem. And this is a modem where you actually took the big handset, the big gigantic AT&T Ma Bell handset, and you plug it into these little plungers, and it does this 300. Right, 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 right. 300 baud. And I would dial into a bulletin board service, which allowed me to uh, dial in. I could then exchange forum posts, basically all text-based, and I could log off so that somebody else could dial in and they could read what I wrote, and then I could wait in the later in the day, dial back in and see what they wrote. Oh. It was, the, And this was literally people all over the United States and around the world. I could go on and on, but if you can't see it, there has always been a thread from my childhood. Number one, 
I love to put my voice out into the world mm -hmm. or my message or to communicate with people. And I love the ability to interact with those who I'm able to reach. Mm, powerful. It leads me to this other thing that I've been thinking about. And that is that you've always had, well, not, I mean, perhaps not always, but you wanted to be a head pastor, right? And you were an associate pastor of a church, of a small church. And so when you were younger, you wanted to be this head pastor. And there is a parallel, I, I feel, between being a podcaster where you have an audience, you're speaking, there's this give and take. Curious if you have thought much about that parallel and how that plays into your love of podcasting. Yeah. So very much had a, an interesting faith journey from a child on up. Always had a desire to know God more intimately and not burn in hell eternally from the time I, my earliest memory. I had all sorts of different upbringing. I went to Catholic school from second grade all the way through seventh grade. That was not because I was Catholic or my family was Catholic, but they provided a better school system situation, educational system from what I had available prior to that. And on the weekends, I'm going to not church with my family because they weren't very church-oriented people, but my friends in the neighborhood, they invited me to go to Sunday school classes. I take church fans. And so I was going to Nazarene churches, Baptist churches, Presbyterian churches, anybody who had Cooley okay. and Kool-Aid and cookies, I was there. <laughs> so I, I had lots of Sunday school classes and stuff like that. When I was a teenager, I was going to this Pentecostal church with my cousin. Through all of this, I really do have a passion for knowing God. And I'll just fast forward to, I had a season where I got really involved in my faith, got very serious with a girl. That relationship went in a way that I felt really guilty about. I ended up running away from God, fearing his wrath and being embarrassed by the situation. So I basically literally up and like nobody saw me as, as far mm. as they're concerned. There, there was no way they were going to find Cliff Ravenscraft. So I went running. I went to college, lived a wild and crazy lifestyle for the first time in my life. Several years after that, I start dating a girl who is now my wife for more than mm -hmm. 23 years. And when we started getting serious in our dating, I said, listen, we, we started talking about marriage. And I said, I won't marry you unless I feel like I can be the husband and father that God wants me to be. And as far as I'm concerned, if we get married, there, there will never be a divorce. You'll either have to kill me or I'm going to have to die one or the other. But but I, if I'm going to do this, I want to I want to do it right. I want to be led and guided by God in in this mm -hmm. situation. And the only time I've ever experienced that was through some weekly Bible study groups I was a part of when I was a teenager. And I'd like to recreate that for my own accountability. Now I have some different thoughts and feelings about accountability and what's all required to have a good and honorable relationship with God, which is nothing like what I used to think it. Mm -hmm. But at the time, this is what I thought. I thought for me to be able to have you an honorable and man of integrity, I'd have to weekly be involved in a very close relationship with other very firm believers. So I told my wife, I said, or my, my girlfriend, I mm -hmm. said, let's start a weekly Bible study group for young adults. And we started that. One thing led to another. And we grew that to some pretty sizable numbers and stuff. And uh, the church... I, I felt like after about six months of us being married, I felt, man, I, I think this is what God wants me to do. I think God wants to use me to educate, encourage, and inspire others to, to live the life for which they were created. And I feel like, I think maybe God's calling me to full-time ministry. I had no idea what that looks mm -hmm. like. 
So I go talk to my pastor about it. And he says, Cliff, I think you're on to something here. Let's talk, let's bring it before the church board. And we were a little small ch- Nazarene church. And they interviewed me for about an hour, asked me all sorts of questions, some really wild and weird stuff. But I answered everything just authentically and honestly and transparently. And and I didn't hold anything back. And they and they said at the end of the meeting, they said, absolutely clear. There's a calling on your life to full-time ministry. And they said that in the Nazarene church, there are two paths. There's the deacon and the elder. And it's very clear to us that you're called to go the elder path. So, which basically meant that you're studying to be a full-time pastor. So I began Nazarene Bible College through distance learning. This was before oh, right. online learning before was really a thing. Yeah, uh, is like the very earliest <laughs> version of online learning. And so I started taking correspondence courses and I'm preaching on Sundays. I get my district minister's license, which is there's this whole path towards getting ordained in the Nazarene church. But I'm performing weddings. I don't know if you know this. People sometimes ask me in an interview, Cliff, what's one thing most people don't know about you? Well, the first woman I ever married was my cousin. Oh, wow. The first woman I ever married was my cousin. And I, I jokingly say that because I'm from Kentucky and people have some weird ideas about Kentucky. But uh, yeah, I perf- my first wedding I performed was for my cousin, yeah, which is amazing. kind of funny. Some interesting things happened in that part of my faith journey, things that I'm thankful for today, but were kind of painful back then. Some church split stuff, some church politics stuff and things. And we ended up leaving that church, that everything. and formed our own church for a while. Myself, my wife, and our best friend at the time launched a church. And then he had to move to Florida because of some life circumstances. And Stephanie and I joined this other semi-mega church. Uh, Mm -hmm. I call it a small mega church because it's about, at the time, there were about two to three or 4,000 people who attended on the weekend. In a Nazarene church, that's a full-blown Mega church, mm-hmm. uh, you know, but it's it's no Andy Stanley down there in uh, Georgia. <laughs> so if there's a scale by which one is a mega church, we were involved in that. And part time, I'm working as a pastor of small groups. So I'm leading a small group, but also leading small group leaders. And I say that I'm a pastor there, but I'm. It's not an official capacity. It's not. It's not a paid capacity. I was working full-time at this point in my mom and dad's insurance agency that was started by my grandfather in 1937. Mm -hmm. Very well paid, very successful in that job. This is what's going on. So imagine this. I'm married. I have several kids at this point. I have this ministry where I'm overseeing not only my own small group, but about 15 other small groups. And so, you know, that's, gives me a little bit of significance, if you will. And I feel like I'm doing the will of God in, in my ministry work. And who knows, this could lead to one day being a full-time pastor. Mm-hmm. And I told my mom and dad, I said, I'll come work for your insurance office on two conditions. Number one, you'll never force me to get my insurance license, which they never did, but I did get my insurance license. But the second thing is, is if I'm ever offered an opportunity to become a full-time pastor, no matter how much less money I might be offered, you have to give me your full blessing to leave and pursue that path. Mm-hmm. And they said, absolutely. So all of this, and then we fast forward to 2005. Working in the insurance office, married, have several kids, have this ministry work that I'm doing in a pretty successful ministry and all this stuff. And my wife and I, uh, well, first of all, my wife falls in love with this TV show called Lost. Have you heard of it? Oh yeah, I know Lost and I'm familiar with your show. So yeah, I mean, I didn't, I didn't, I haven't, I wasn't a fan then, but I, I appreciated the show. 
I mean, you had 17,000 fo- uh, subscribers in like three days, man. I mean, that's that's impressive right there. Well, three episodes, three weeks. Okay, uh, and there's episodes. a reason behind that. I mean, I'll, I'll give you the full behind the scenes story because it sounds more impressive than it, what it really is. And that's one thing I want to do is I want to just share people. Th- things don't just fall in your lap all the time. Mm-hmm. So anyway, my wife falls in love with this TV show Lost. I can't understand what, what her obsession is about this scripted version of Survivor, which I'd right. never even watched Survivor. And that's how they promoted it before the show ever launched. And I'm like, I, I have no interest in that. Until the very final three episodes of the first season, I sit down on the couch with my laptop, as I often did in those days. And my wife's watching this. And there's this there. There's these people. They build a raft. Some of the people stay on the island. A couple of them get on the raft. Sorry about any spoilers. But if you haven't watched Lost at this point, I'm sorry. Yeah, you're, you're a little late to the game. I mean, it was a it was a very much an addicting show. You, you can't help but to watch it. The people that get off the raft, they go and then they cut to the other side of an island where other people on this island had been digging up this underground bunker and there's this hatch. They cut back to the raft and they go, there's this boat. They think they're going to be saved. And then all of a sudden there's this man on the boat. We call him Mr. Friendly. He says, we're going to have to take the boy. And they take this boy away from the people on the raft and they speed away. And now Walt's missing. We don't know what's going on there. There's all this mystery. What happens? What's going on on this island? And then they cut back to the other side where they've been uncovering this bunker. The hatch has this glass window. And all of a sudden, this light comes on and emanates from it, shining up into the sky, kind of like today's modern day 9-11 memorials kind of light up into the sky. And then cut to black and you see loss. And I'm hooked. I'm like, okay, I got to know what's going on here. So I find some ways of uh, getting my hands on the first season of Lost. And my wife and I start watching it. I'd be, of course, I'm already into podcasting at this time as a subscriber. There were already five podcasters podcasting about the TV show Lost. I subscribed to all five of them and listened to all five every single week. I knew everything there was to know about the TV show Lost. Not only was I listening to approximately seven hours worth of audio content via podcast about the TV show Lost, I was pouring over hundreds upon hundreds upon hundreds of forum posts from what was known as the Fuselage, which was the official text-based forum from Damon Lindelof and Carlton Cuse and the uh, writers of the show. It was the most incredible, awesome thing. I began to blog about it. I was blogging about my theories. I had the most awesome theories and, and based upon what I learned from everyone else pretty much, but still formulated a couple of my own. And I had been blogging since 1996 at ravenscraft.org back at the time. And I might have occasionally had about 100, maybe 200 people who would come across my blogs over an entire month. I started blogging about the TV show Lost and I start seeing a significant increase in traffic. But then there is one of those podcasters who had a podcast called The Transmission, Ryan and Jen Azawa. Mm-hmm. And they had a listener feedback email. You could send them an audio recording of your voice. So I picked up a little microphone and recorded my voice. Actually, I might have done it on a handheld HP, one of those little... Um, what do you call those? PDAs. The, oh, the right. old PDAs. Right, right, right. Almost like a Windows PC kind of thing in your mobile device. 
Anyway, I recorded audio into that, found a way to get that audio file off of there, three and a half minutes, and I shared my Thomas theory. And I said, listen, if you want proof of my Thomas theory, go to ravenscraft.org. You can read all about it. Mm. I did that. And all of a sudden, I now have more traffic on my website than is possible to receive. I got shut down from my, <laughs> my web host because I exceeded bandwidth limitations. And what happened was Entertainment Weekly heard my voice, went and saw my post, and then did an article about the Thomas Theory from Cliff Ravenscraft in Northern Kentucky on EW.com. Wow. And that says so much right there. I mean, that's, that's huge. Keep going. So what happened was I did all of that. And then Ryan and Jen said, Cliff, you and your wife should create your own podcast about loss. The way that you talk about it, the, the amount of time, effort, and energy, you, you guys would be naturals at this. And it didn't take a lot to stroke my ego at the time. In fact, my ego only recently died, which is awesome. It was up and kicking back then. And so I'm like, heck yeah, I'll create a podcast. And I'm like, I have no idea how to create one of these. But I just do a Google search. It's like, how, what is a RSS feed? How do I set up a podcast? I know how to do text code. I can actually hand code my own RSS feeds with, with a text editor, upload it to my web host and all this other stuff. I'll upload my files to my web server. Big mistake because, again, exceeded bandwidth limitations. Mm. But anyway, this was before Lipson was around. Right, right, right. Or any of the other podcasting hosts. Anyway, I, I, I record my first podcast episode by myself. And it's just called Generally Speaking because I didn't think anybody would be interested in hearing me talk about the TV show Lost. There's already other, five other shows. And while I, today, I look back and I'm like, okay, I was pretty darn knowledgeable about the TV show Lost. But you got to understand, I got most of my information from other people. All right. So compared to them, I thought, why would they want to hear me when I'm just regurgitating other people's stuff? And now one little lesson for anybody listening or watching is that there's a lot of people who would love to hear you regurgitate what you hear and have learned from other people in your own words. Mm. Big, powerful message. It's that. a super powerful message. Yep. But I didn't think so at the time. So, and of course, then the other thing is, is, well, I, I have a huge love for technology. I would have never discovered podcasting if it wasn't for Leo Laporte. There's already This Week in Tech, MacBreak Weekly is up and running by this time, and all these other technology podcasts. And I mean, it's like, okay, I would love to talk about technology, but nobody's really going to hear want to hear what I have to say about technology. And then there, it's like, well, there's only one other topic that I'd like to talk about, and maybe that's my faith, because I'm very heavily influenced by my faith. My faith pretty much, I, I, my, I love God so much. I'd love to talk about my relationship, my experience in faith. And, but who wants to hear me? I mean, I'd been listening to Christian radio broadcasters like Chuck Swindoll and Ravi Zacharias and all these other people for years, and they're starting to have podcasts at this time. So nobody's really, I mean, Nobody's really going to want to hear me. So I create a podcast called Generally Speaking. And in that very first episode, I said, hey, guys, my name is Cliff Ravenscraft. I'm from Northern Kentucky. I'm, I happen to be a pastor. I work as an insurance agent, blah, blah, blah. This is my podcast. This is my story. This is how I discovered podcasting. This is what this podcast is going to be. It's going to be about one of three topics, faith, technology, or the TV show Lost. And here's why those three topics. And here's what I want you to know. Each episode is going to be limited to one topic because I would imagine some of you will only be interested in hearing me talk about loss and you could care less about what I have to say about technology or faith or maybe or any of the other combinations. So each episode is going to be limited to one topic. 
Mm. And here in this first episode, I'm going to talk about the TV show Lost. And then I went. Mm. <laughs> and I published that first episode. 500 people listened to the first episode. Now, I thought if five people listened to that episode, I was going to be like all like ready to go to the moon. 500 people. So all of a sudden, I put it out there. I share it with all the other lost podcasters, including the ones, Ryan and Jen, who told me. And they said, listen, we have this thing called the Lost Podcast Network. It's basically an RSS feed that we're use- running off of Blogger. And we'll give you login credentials and you can go in and add your podcast episodes for the Lost Podcast. If you do Lost Only content, you mm. can put your Lost Podcast episodes in our feed. And I said, people's, by the way, those 500 people, the overwhelming consensus, I could care less about your technology. I could care less about your faith. But if you did a <laughs> podcast about Lost, I'd listen every single week. How did you know that? How did you, how could you, was that oh, just they email, they, they emailed me. Yeah. They emailed wow. me. People wrote comments on my blog. Now, by, remember, by this time, I'm already getting a lot of people who found me through the EW article and through Ryan and Jen's podcast. So this is what I'm giving you here is a glimpse of a couple of weeks to a, maybe a month and a half before I made the decision after I submitted that feedback. So all of this stuff is happening in the background. And so people are leaving comments. They say, listen, I, I found you because of my love for Lost. I'm, I'd be interested. I just... Not sure, sure I care about your faith and I don't really care about technology. But talk about Lost. And so I came back with episode number two, invited my wife to join me. And we said, hey, everyone, welcome to the weekly Lost edition of the Generally Speaking Podcast Network. Mm, Which, by the way, began gspn.tv. Anyway, so we got started with the TV show Lost. So after the second episode, that's when they say, okay, you're okay. This is a weekly lost podcast by Cliff and Stephanie. Now we want to invite you into the lost podcast network. And so episode number three, I put into the blogger podcast feed from, for the lost podcast network, which those guys have been doing forever. Right. And then I put it in my own podcast feed and that's how we had, I I don't know at this point, there was a time when I was saying 17,000 downloads per episode by the third episode or it's 27,000 by the third episode. I don't know which of those numbers is actually accurate at this point. It's folklore at this point. Well, any any way you slice it, you did well. And there's several things that I took away. One, you took the time to have expert status, right? Because you understood lost you came to the party late but you made up for lost time by doing your homework and just completely going all in and embracing as much of the knowledge that existed about the show as you could then you had the amazing idea to record that piece send it to entertainment weekly which then led to huge visibility and then you had the great sense to align forces and you didn't even know where it would go but they offered to allow you to go to the rss so so many valuable nuggets for takeaways, but you started as a hobby, man. All right, so the question is, have I thought about how this can go, the whole podcasting thing and being a head pastor in ministry? So started out as a hobby about a secular television show that has seemingly should have nothing to do with faith and religion. And I told you, people even says, listen, I'm not interested in your faith. So my wife and I are only gonna talk about the TV show Lost in this podcast. I already knew I was gonna launch other podcasts for technology and for faith. But in this podcast, the Weekly Lost podcast, only going to talk about Lost. So then they have an episode titled Tabula Rasa, starting over with a clean slate. All right. So we talk about our experiences of talking, uh, starting over with a clean slate. 
Then they have all good cowboys have daddy issues. I grew up with some daddy issues. My wife came up, grew up with some daddy issues. And we talked about our own experiences and how we relate with the theme of that episode. People are mesmerized by the stories of how we're authentically sharing our lives. Then they introduced Mr. Echo. Mm-hmm. This guy who is pretending, I'm again, sorry for the spoilers 15 years later or whatever, <laughs> yeah. but uh, he's pretending to be a Catholic priest. And there's an episode called the 23rd Psalm, which they recite word for word the 23rd Psalm in that episode. Incorrectly, they reversed two lines, which then allowed me to come in and say, listen, this is actually what they said. Here's how the verse actually reads, and this is what the meaning set. If you change this, it changes the meaning of the scripture. This is what it might be saying to the island, but also this is what it means to us in our real life. And people are like, oh my gosh, I've never heard faith or the Bible explained in such a way. And then they had another episode where baby Aaron was being mm-hmm. baptized, and we got to talk about baptism. I mean, it's like they, yeah, people are like, like the best we're talking world. about. We're talking about faith and people are loving it. They don't even know that we're talking about faith. We're just talking about the TV show. So, Billy, where does this fit in? I start getting handwritten notes, handwritten thank you notes from all over the world. Tons of them. We're talking hundreds of people sending us handwritten thank you notes. Every one of these are handwritten thank you notes. Not only that, but Billy, look at this. Postcards Mm. from every country on the planet, and every one of them has handwritten thank you notes. Every one of these has handwritten thank you notes. We opened up a P.O. box because people asked if they could get our address so they could send us stuff. So we opened up a P.O. box, and these things by the hundreds began to show up. Now, Billy. I'm going to hold this up, and I know that many people are going to listen to us by audio only. Could you describe what I'm holding in my hand? Yeah, so you have, well, several pages of different sized paper with handwritten long and different handwriting notes. uh, And you had postcard after postcard of all sorts of different, looks like letters, fan letters, really. Let me ask you this. When was the last time you personally wrote somebody a handwritten letter on a full eight and a half by 11 sheet of lined ruled paper? <laughs> I don't think I have. Like literally. I mean, maybe as a kid, honestly. Yeah. I have about 40 of them here. Three of them are people who said, because of you and your wife and the stuff you share in your podcast, I chose not to commit suicide. <sighs> There are some of them that are handwritten letters. Some of them are in the thank you notes. We've got people who said, because of you and your wife, I had never heard of Dave Ramsey before. And about six months ago, we began our debt-free journey. And we're on track to do the impossible. Within three months, we will be completely debt-free. Because of you and your wife, one man said, my kids have a father again. Mm -hmm. About four years ago, I left my wife for a younger woman. And I completely abandoned my wife and my two kids. Now, because of something that you and your wife shared in your podcast, all of a sudden struck a chord just how far off base I've been living my life. I've since ended that relationship. I am working desperately to restore my relationship with my wife. But regardless of how that turns out, 
at least my kids have me back in their life. And that's directly as a result of listening to you and your wife authentically share your stories. The hundreds and hundreds. And, and by the way, this box right here, mm -hmm. this is just the stuff that came in the mail. Now, that doesn't count the thousands upon thousands upon thousands of emails that I was getting on a monthly basis, just all around the world. <sighs> Stephanie and I, we started with the Lost Podcast, but then we created the Desperate Housewives fan podcast, the Grey's Anatomy fan podcast, the Doctor Who fan podcast, the Heroes fan podcast. I, we started a podcast called Family from the Heart, which we did for 10 years. I started a podcast called My Crazy Life, which eventually became Pursuing a Balanced Life. I started a podcast with some friends called Business Tech Weekly, Help I Got a Mac, Social Media Serenity. Since 2005, I launched a total of about 40 different podcasts and have produced over 5,000 podcast episodes. And it was clear to me that, that during this phase, it's like, this is what I'm supposed to be doing in the world. Mm. This was the full-time ministry I had always been called to. And it's how you tie all of those passions, those gifts, and those talents, and that natural bent for wanting to communicate with my voice, to put a message into the world, preparing me to communicate written word, spoken word. And my desire to, to serve God by encouraging and in, educating, encouraging, and inspiring other people to live the lives for which they were created, this was the fulfillment. It became clear to me that podcasting was my full-time ministry. Your voice has been amplified both literally and figuratively as a result of this medium. And the message that you're able to share is impacting far greater numbers of lives because you have this platform. Your show, the Cliff Ravenscraft Show, recently, a, a recent episode, you talk about this question, who am I and why am I here? And you did a journal experiment where you wrote down on three different occasions an answer to those questions. For the audience that hasn't had a chance to listen to, to that episode, which I strongly suggest you do, I would love for you to share with them, who are you, Cliff, and why are you here? You know what? I actually have it written down in my faith journal, which in the last 45 days, I have 181 pages of notes. But let me go in here to my purpose in life. So let's see here. I love all, by the way, for those listening, there's like a million colored tabs surrounding the thing. I don't know how you make sense of it, but it's, it's clearly you have a system. I love oh, that. So basically my full-time career right now is coaching people. And I always coach around insights. It, it's the way things work is God works with me and communicates to me and teaches me so much on a daily basis. And I just, and it's usually just for me. It's like, this is what I need in my life. And then all of a sudden, I'll get into a coaching call and somebody will say, this is what's going on. It's like, you know, I was dealing with that about three and a half weeks ago and God shared this with me. And then I'm like, how do I find these? And so I went on to Amazon and I got my tabs mm -hmm. and I wrote all these things because it was taking too long to find them. So you saw how quick I found my yeah, purpose, yeah, right? Yeah, for sure. All right, here's major insight. Here is my mission and purpose in the world. To bring light where there was darkness. The second bullet point, helping others rediscover and fully live into their true identity so that they can get to the work that they were put on this earth to do. 
And the third bullet point is to lead others to the only true and everlasting source of peace, love, joy, and fulfillment. That's who I am. That's why I'm, that, that is what I'm put on this earth to do. And it ties back to your goals that you have for this year. And I, I really appreciate the fact that you took the time in 2019 to really align yourself with what matters most. One of the things I found fascinating is in a lot of ways, you put your audience first, frankly, above friends and above family. And content for you is like, and, and working is like oxygen. And because of that, it can have an adverse effect on the things that, that are also meaningful, which is the family relationships, the personal relationships. And one of the things that stood out as I really looked at your overall story is that where you've landed today and, and who you are today, you've evolved, right? And even your faith, even your faith journey, my brother, yeah. we, we could do a whole episode just about that. I'm completely in awe of your willingness and your curiosity to explore, quite frankly, at the expense of potential loyal listeners, because who are very much aligned with perhaps the Cliff Ravenscraft of 10, 11, 12, 15 years ago, and maybe not willing or frankly, not able to explore what else is out there. And I applaud you and I appreciate that openness from my perspective. It's really inspiring. I wonder, you know, I, I'm a big fan of Think and Grow Rich like you are. I had my mastermind this morning. And the thing that I wanted to get out of our meeting, like I have a lot of episodes where we talk about tips and tricks and all those things. And you've done, you, you were the podcast answer man for years. And I was a little bit worried. i be like, he, he's not going to want to talk about this stuff. Like he spent so much time trying to shake this image of the podcast guy where he had to answer questions all day long. And it was literally consuming every minute of your day because you're such a giving person that you're willing to give so much of yourself to answer the technical questions and all the nuanced questions and all these different things that people wanted to know because you were the source of their knowledge, of the wisdom that they wanted, that they so desperately needed. But you had to make a change and you became the mindset answer, man. So I want to talk about that mindset because it's so critically important. Specifically, most people, when they come seeking advice on getting going on a podcast, what you believe, and I b believe this too, is that you don't really start with the podcast. You start with the mindset and you, and you really start with what is the big picture plan? Is there a business around this podcast? Like you've, you've said, Hey, don't take the path I took. Like, and not, and not just about your weight journey, right? Which we could, that's a whole, again, a whole nother podcast. I did keto too, man. Like, Oh, geez, there's so much, but I want to talk about that mindset. What should a podcaster listening to this show think about or how should they prepare before actually starting the podcast to make sure they're in the right headspace? What should they think about? First of all, gosh, th there's a lot of different directions I can go. Let me, let me check in with myself for just a second and feel what I feel in the moment might be the best advice I'd give right now because that changes from time to time. And I don't want to say something I've always said. I would say the one piece of advice I'd give to somebody, create a podcast for fun without any intention of anything happening out of it, go, go create a podcast as a hobby and do it about something that you love and that you're passionate about and that you would be more than thrilled to carve out time where it seems impossible to carve out enough time to do it, but where you would do anything to carve out time 
to create that podcast, even if only three to five people were to subscribe to it. But knowing that those three to five people got value from what you had to share. Create that kind of podcast first. And maybe with the idea that you make a promise that I will only create five to 10 episodes of this podcast. And then I'll, I'll put it to rest. From there, I will have learned all the technology things that I needed to do to launch a podcast. And so then once I have a feel for what it takes to produce a podcast, if I want to go create another podcast, I can duplicate that easily. Or it, I could probably either know it myself already or hire somebody or, or find out just through a couple searches how I can just change the brand of the podcast, delete the first few episodes and, and use the same feed. There's all kinds of things you could do. Or you may just find that you can't not, you, you, you will find it impossible to put an end to that podcast that was only supposed to have five to 10 mm. episodes. If, if, if there was any piece of advice, I'd, I'd give that. And here's why. You take away the, this is going to bring me new clients for my business. This is going to help me get famous. This is going to help me get ranked in iTunes and all that. You get rid of all of those superficial, not, not that there's anything wrong with that. Please understand, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with creating a podcast for the purpose of, of gaining a sense of expert status in an industry or a niche or to gain exposure for your message and to get people to opt into your various different marketing funnels that you have for your incredibly awesome products and services that serve people at the highest level. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. But if you can actually start a podcast with no ulterior motives other than the follow a heart passion, that's the one thing that I did that I think has led so much to the natural attraction of success. I don't think there's a whole lot that I've done, Billy, that has been me intentionally doing things to find success. In fact, if I review, and I, I'd have to give this some more thought, but it seems to me that over my journey, the more effort I put in to gaining exposure and to increasing the size of my audience and to, to ramping things up, gaining more clients, getting more attention, having more influence, the less successful I was in those efforts. And also, the less I enjoyed creating the content mm -hmm. and almost to the point where if I didn't figure it out fast enough, those are the times when I, it, that actually led me to burnout. And I'd look at my calendar and I was like, oh crap, it's Thursday. And I still haven't recorded a podcast episode. <sighs> mm. And I got to tell you that those things are not good things, but the times when I'm like, man, let me just follow my heart. In fact, I, I want to give one piece of advice that is very counterproductive. Don't create content for your listeners. Create content for you. Now, the thing is, is this is something that I've always done. And when I do it and I follow it, I always lose significant number. I mean, we're talking big number percentages of listeners, subscribers, gone forever. But the ones I retain resonate so much with my message that 
my heart sings. I can't wait to record a podcast episode. Those are the times when I'm creating content because it's what I'm interested in without any regard to whether or not anybody else will find interest in what I'm about ready to say in this episode. When I create that content, I'm like, sometimes I'll record five of those episodes in the week and I'll schedule them out over the next five weeks. You know what? I lose significant numbers of people in my audience, but I've never failed to retain the ones who were supposed to be listening in the first place. What, What I find in doing it the other way, for me personally, and I'm not suggesting other people need to follow my advice, especially if you don't want to lose. There's multiple paths. But let me tell you something. When I did this, I always found that by following my heart, that opened me up to the next big thing. It opened me up to the fact that, wait a second, I realized just how far off of my path I've gone. So much so that I've been working hard to impress others and give so much of what people have told me they want from me that I've lost touch with what I want and feel called to give in this world. Mm. It comes back to this concept that you talk a lot about, which is this conditioned thought of who you are supposed to be, who you're supposed to be in the eyes of the listeners, who you're supposed to be in the eyes of your friends and family, who you're supposed to be in the eyes of you name it. And I think we all have those conditioned beliefs. I think the other thing that stands out from what you just said is this inherent desire to feed our own ego. And you said you've, mm. you've managed to shake the ego as much as possible. Uh, I, I, wanna, I just want to say, I believe that I have. And if I haven't completely, I'm in an incredible process and journey of eliminating it. And it's recent. It's new. Mm-hmm. And it's awesome. And it feels so freeing. Well, yeah. And I go back to this episode that you created where this changes everything. And I watched that entire episode with with Ray and I just I love the takeaways that you got from it and for those that haven't had a chance to listen I think for me the through line is this conversation you had with Michael Hyatt which I've been a fan of him as as long as anybody that I follow and so when I realized how important he he was to you I was like oh, I'm going to like this guy and just be <laughs> super transparent I did not know you I did not know you until I did this research I love the research process I love learning as much as I can about whoever I'm meeting with but the reason I found you is because of what other people were saying. Your name, wow. your name came up over and over and over because I am, as, as you know, and I shared some of the people I've interviewed, I've interviewed a lot of really, I'll call them legendary people within the podcast space. And so many of them have sung your praises. You put on this event, Free the Dream, and, and you were so invested in getting people to this <laughs> conference and you had to get a certain, and, and by the way, man, I love the transparency that you have with with everything again at the expense of potential listeners right you some people may be afraid to talk about you know specific numbers with income or about how many people they need to attend a conference or about their weight or about like you lay it all out there and uncompromisingly transparent and free with sharing who you are warts and all okay and i and i love that and i and i respect and appreciate that about you and i guarantee you that is one of the biggest reasons People are so endeared to you and revere you as much as they do. And so what happened with this conversation is you had this epiphany that you realized you were putting so much effort and time and attention to this, this thing that you created. And ultimately, what you realized is you were doing it for ego and fame. And you, and, you, and you were willing enough to share that 
despite the fact that that's not the most popular thing to say. You want to say you're doing it for the people and to inspire them and all these different things that you do want those things, but you were realistic with the fact that there's other motives there. And what's transpired since is really embracing this idea of the mastermind and going back to think or grow rich. I mean, the mastermind is such a key part of of your overall business, but it's such a key part of actually doing what you really want to do, which is inspire because these smaller groups have the ability to have a much deeper, richer, lasting, and impactful effect and impact on the human beings in which you're bringing into your orbit and into your masterminds. I want to make sure that I got all that right and that, and, and I want to get your thoughts on it because this is new. I'm, I'm playing this out in real time as I'm sharing it. And then I want to talk about masterminds for those because we have I haven't talked about that on any of my shows yet. And, and it's something that you're deeply passionate about. And I wonder, you know, the listener and anyone, if you're listening and you haven't done masterminds or you haven't been involved, you know, maybe this can help give you a something that would be not only impactful for your audience, but something that could be very rewarding financially as well. So super open. We could go any direction you want to go. I wanted to, you know, say all that and kind of get it out there. Yeah. No, I mean, you summarized perfectly the whole thing behind Free the Dream and and the growing of all the stuff and and all of those things. Absolutely. I will say that there is no doubt in my mind that my original plan for Free the Dream So first and foremost, the idea, I had a vision. I had a vision, and I believe it was from God. This was late 2015, I believe, or maybe even mid-2015. And for the first few times that this occurred to me, and I I could sense it and feel it, and, and I could almost see it in my mind's eye, I was afraid of it. And I'm like, dude, I, I better never tell anybody about this because... I I will be ridiculed for this, but I had a vision of Cliff Ravenscraft, me standing on a stage in a stadium with 40 to 50,000 people in attendance. And I was not a guest at the event. Those people were there to see me speak. Now, I got to tell you that you talk about ego. That's the, it's like, I'm like, that is ridiculous. Number one, who would, I, I can't imagine that. I, I mean, I'm a pretty decent communicator and I thank God for the the path of public speaking that he's put me on and stuff like that. And But the most I've ever spoke on on a stage is a couple hundred people and that kind of is, you know, intimidating and and all this other stuff. So I, I'm like, I must've ate something funny. And, but it happened a couple, but it came up a couple different times. I was in New Zealand, actually doing a keynote address for a podcasting conference in New Zealand. And I was invited to the home of a friend, of some friends there that I had just met. And I don't know why, but I, they, something, they asked a question. It was a, just a very intimate conversation is the first time in in the company of other people that I spoke out loud this vision that I had. They said, because I had already been introduced as, you know, the fact that I'm going to leave Podcast Answer Man behind. I'm going to shut down a half million dollar a year business. Just don't want this anymore. I feel like God's called me to, to something more impactful and more influential in the world. And they said, well, what does that look like? Or So they, so they asked me and, and I'm like, okay, I'm going to share something with you and chances, the good news is that I don't know you guys and I don't know if I'm ever coming to New Zealand if I'll ever see you again. So I'll go ahead and tell you this really crazy thing. And so I tell them about exactly what I just told you. Me on a stage, 
40, 50,000 people. And there were, I think, seven people in that living room. Maybe it was including myself, but six, seven, eight of us, I don't know, in this living room in a circle, all of them straight faced. Yeah, I see that. Mm -hmm. I'm like, what? (laughs) And they all said the same thing. I'll be at your first stadium event. That's what they said. Now, that freaked me out. So I'm going to tell you right now, I still believe to this day, the vision came from God, all right? That it's not mine. It wasn't produced by my ego and my search for significance, although so much of what I have done over all of the years have been in in seeking out my need for significance, which I, I can talk about that as much as you want in a moment. But that's how this began. So I started talking to these people and I came home and I told my best friend in the world, Ray Edwards, about this. I said, Ray, let me tell you about this experience. And he goes, yeah, I see that. And he goes, and I'm going to be at your first uh, stadium (laughs) event. And I'm like, okay, so let's see, that's eight. And then I'd be, so Billy, what happened was I started having conversations with more people, just one-on-one, because like I'm waiting for the first person to tell me that I'm a nut job and that I might need therapy. All right, that's literally what I'm thinking, because I'm like, I really believe this is a vision from God. All of a sudden, let's just say I'm up to 100 people over the course of four or five months that I've told this vision to, like one-on-one small groups, every single time. Yeah, I mean, that seems natural. At this point, I'm like, well, wait a second. If I just have one-on-one conversations or small group conversations with people and tell them exactly the way that I've just told these first 100 people, all I need to reach is 49,900 other people and I've got the stadium full. Okay, so I'm thinking, it's like, okay, maybe there's more to this. Maybe it's not just me. There's always been throughout my entire life, throughout this entire journey, there's always been people who have seen more in me than I've ever been able to see in myself. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? 100%. Yeah, makes sense. I'll give you an example. This is back when I'm still podcasting as a hobby. TV show Lost. My wife, I mean, I, we were, I was ridiculous. Go, I encourage people. This is a group of podcasters, right? Or maybe aspiring podcasters even. Go and look up Weekly Lost Podcast from Cliff and Stephanie Ravenscraft in iTunes. Go and look at the ratings and reviews. And if you're doing it in the software where you can actually sort, sort by most critical, the one star really terrible reviews, <laughs> there are lots of them. And they were all right. <laughs> it was, I am telling you, I was an egomaniac. I was, it's like, dude, I can't wait till Oprah invites me onto her show. I'm going to be, you know, we're going to have millions of people, blah, blah, blah. I mean, I was full of myself. Now, was that, I was just having fun. You know what I'm saying? It's like, listen, this isn't going anywhere. This is just for fun. I don't, these people, it, I'm just here having fun. But it's like, man, but I'm just waiting to be discovered. You know, so I, it, thankfully that all kind of got reined in for a little bit, but it, it, and it came back out from time to time. But I start talking about this to people. And then I sit there, I said, Ray, I really believe that this might be something that happens. And I could see it maybe five to 10 years from now, I might actually pursue something to take steps towards that. He goes, why not next year? <laughs> I love it. And I'm like, huh, what would that look like? And so I began to host small group workshops here in my home studio. I built a mm-hmm. significant studio here in my office with a training space. I can host 14 people in a classroom. 
And so I started doing that and I successfully sold out several of those. And I'm like, at, at very high ticket price, $2,000 a person, I had a couple people buy a ticket for 7500 so they could spend a day with me afterwards. And like, okay, well, that's cool. Well, now let's take the next step. Let's go and create a conference. Now, I will tell you, I started with the dollar number in mind. Mm -hmm. I want to walk away with $240,000 in profit because then that would replace all of my income. At this point, I had grown accustomed to a minimum of $20,000 a month. That's just where I'd grown in my business. Mm -hmm. Anything less than that would be less than comfortable. It, I, I could live on less, but it, it, would, it would not be as comfortable. And I like comfort. So let's go ahead and do Free the Dream Conference. We'll set it as a really simple goal, 300 people. Out of all the people that I reach, I should be able to reach 300 people at a conference. Now, the struggle is, is that I want to do it at a level where people are really bought in. The people who come, I want skin in the game. I don't want somebody for $49 for a ticket. I want somebody who has invested a minimum of $1,000 and who has invested in a hotel room for a couple of days, who has left their safety of their home and taken time out of their business or work or taken some time off and they've come for an entire two and a half day weekend event. That's the level of commitment I want from these people. I had said, I'm going to put $60,000. I'm committing $60,000 to make this the best production value you could have. And my goal, I have 300 people that attend with an average ticket price of $1,000. So that, that's how I went about this. So this is where my numbers came from. Mm-hmm. It's like, so number one, this is helping me. If this vision really is from God, this is me taking steps in faith towards that. I'm in the pure essence of chasing this for the reason of this isn't my ego that's taken over. And then the financial part is, well, this is just financial. I don't feel guilty or shameful or ashamed of the fact that I want 300 people because 300 at an average ticket price of $1,000 minus the 60,000, that's 240. That average is 24 or 20K a month. If this becomes successful and I get to the place where I can have a 300 person conference with an average ticket price of $1,000 per ticket with a cost of $60,000 in expenses, that means I could shut down everything else I do in my business and then make this once, once a year event, this annual event, the thing that I do which then I could logically grow it towards this thing. So everything, I honestly believe that I went into all of that thought process of visioning this in the essence of this is me walking in faith Mm -hmm. in towards the vision that God has given me. I have no idea where it happened, Billy, but somewhere along the path, it actually switched from, now the thing is, okay, my desire to serve people my desire to be the full-time minister that I am and have always been, by the way. I am a full-time pastor today. I've been pastoring to your audience, even those who are non-Christian. They've been ministered to here. If if they're still listening, which is, then they've been ministered to. So I, I still go, I still have my heart for ministry to serve, to entertain, to educate, to encourage, and to inspire people, to help transform people's way of thinking to help them discover their true identity, to free them from anything, holding them back from doing the work. That is there. That is at the heart and core of Free the Dream. And also to, to have a, a faith in putting myself out there when I could very well fail at this. Mm-hmm. All right. But I got really excited about tell, all of a sudden talking about the vision 
became somewhere along the way, it went from I this seems weird and I don't have no idea why God would ever give me this opportunity, blah, blah, blah. I hesitate to even tell you and blah, blah, blah. But now I'm like, listen, one day I'm gonna tell you right now, I have full faith and confidence that I am going to have events that I do where tens of thousands of people and 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 what happened is somewhere along the way, I don't know how many times it was that I said it with full confidence that all of a sudden it became a sense of significance for me. It's like, look at me. Look how special I am. Look at where I came from and look how, and watch how I do this. And if, if you don't believe me, just watch me. I'm going to do this. Nothing's going to stop it. And, it's, and, it, and what I realized is that all of a sudden I took what might have been a vision from God, could have been me. I do believe it was from God, but I took what was a vision. And instead of saying, okay, God, show me how you're going to do that. I said, huh, there's some other people that have affirmed this. And instead of asking you how it's going to be done, I said, you know what? I got this. Mm -hmm. Thanks, God. I'll see you in a couple years on the stage in front of tens of thousands of people. Until then, I'm going to go build this. And that's where things went really wrong. Why? Because it became all about me. It, It eventually became all about me and my journey, and my success. Not that, not at the exclusion of it being about other people, not at, at the exclusion of serving others, not at the exclusion of walking in faith, but at the exclusion of allowing God to lead and guide it, and with the full rapture of my ego leading the way. Hmm. My own desire for fame. I can tell you right now, go back and read the worst of the worst one-star reviews of the Weekly Lost Podcast. Seriously, I encourage everyone, go read the worst of the worst. And I promise you, the same things that were written then could have been written about me in my search of making Free the Dream this wildly successful stadium-style event. Well, I hope you enjoyed this one. I know this was less strategy-heavy and more about Cliff's journey, but I felt his story was worth sharing. What do you think? I'd love to hear from you. So take a moment, drop me a line, say hello, send me an email to billy at com. Next week, I sit down with a true podcast junkie. Yes, that's right. It's Harry Duran, host of Podcast Junkies. We cover a lot of ground and get super tactical. So if you're the type of person that wants more blocking and tackling, then that episode will be right up your alley. So until next time, remember, everything we do We do it for the love of podcasts.